forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father, who is in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise you. Let's pray. Lord God, we give thanks for your word this morning. We pray that it would dwell richly in our hearts through faith. For we ask in your mighty name. Amen. This morning we continue looking through the Sermon on the Mount, that great teaching of Jesus. And there are a few topics that happen this morning. In Oscar Wilde's book, The Importance of Being Earnest, Algernon turns to Cecily and says, I hope that you've not been leading a double life, pretending to be wicked when actually you've been good all the time, because that would be hypocrisy. Now, when we think of hypocrisy, which will be our first topic of the morning, we don't normally think that someone's pretending to be bad and actually being good. Normally, it is the other way around. I thought it was amusing when I remembered that little moment when the opposite way round was being jibed at Cecily. Our passage this morning, as I said, continues that great teaching And so this morning, we will get to the Lord's Prayer, which you'll probably, when you heard that reading, thought, oh, we're going to hear and think all about the Lord's Prayer. We will get there. But actually, it's important to look at the bit that precedes it. The theme of being genuine and that of not being hypocrites. I did a bit of number crunching. I've got this little computer program which um, is able to find all of the words in the Bible and when they happen multiple times. And I looked up the word hypocrites in the gospel. And it was interesting because it happens 12 times in Matthew's gospel. It happens once in Mark. It happens once in Luke, and it happens no times in John. So when it happens many times, we're supposed to um, pay attention. It's a real theme of Matthew's gospel, this idea of hypocrisy, the hypocrites, you hypocrites. We'd have heard one last week, sound no trumpets when you give, 
as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and street corners, for they have received their reward. And in today's passage, we're left in no doubt that the hypocrites are the Pharisees. Uh, And when we hear of that term referring to the Pharisees, um, they, they usually mean something of the same thing. And I found this one from Matthew 23, which puts it probably best of all. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside they look beautiful, but on the inside they're full of bones and all kinds of filth. That reference is common to thoughts of the Pharisees when they're described as hypocrites in Matthew's Gospel. Great on the outside, brilliant, really worthy of praise on the outside, but no substance on the inside. Put simply, you just look great on the outside, but there's no point, there's nothing behind that. So today in our reading. What we're thinking about is that how we do something and why we do something are as important as what we do. So, for example, we will get to the Lord's Prayer, what we pray. But we first have why we pray, how we pray, because that matters to God. To get it the wrong way around leads us all to get twisted in a knot. Now there's sometimes criticism aimed at Christians, maybe fair, maybe unfair, but it often goes along these sorts of lines. But it doesn't make them any better, or they just do it to to look better than me. Surely there's no real difference. They're just doing it to look good, to seem better. Don't know if that's ever been the case for you, but that's certainly how we can be perceived. And that is how the Pharisees were perceived. It looks great on the outside, but I bet there's nothing behind it. Maybe that criticism is unmerited. Maybe it unfortunately, has some truth in the church at times. And I think, actually, modern life praises how something appears much more than how it is in reality. It made me think of the trappings that that young people have for social media. I don't know how many social media accounts you all have between you, whether you're all up with your Instagram and various things. Uh, For those uh, less common uh, with following these uh, accounts, um, I like to do some running, so I follow some runners. And it's kind of fun watching them run down these really scary routes. But... Some people, when they they get into the trapping of social media, what they'll do is they'll go, I'm going to go to the gym today and I'll I'll take a picture for myself at the gym. But if I'm doing that, I'll have to think about what I'm wearing. And that's got to be the best thing that I'm wearing. And I'll get there and I'll look at the best piece of machinery that I'm going to to be on. Uh, So I'll sit on that piece of machinery and then I'll, I'll have to take it in the right way. Uh, and then I have to sit on the machine and I have to upload it and 
then I'm going to have to wait 10 minutes to see if anyone's replied to me. And you know what? There are people who now go to the gym who spend more time waiting for that phone to upload or phone to tell them some affirmation than they've actually spent on the bit of machinery that they said they were going and they want praise from the world. You know what the Bible says? They've received their reward in full. They went to, to go and get fit and all they've got is adoration from their friends. They've received their reward in full. Not to say that social media is bad, but it can uh, send you down a rabbit hole. But going back to our passage, whenever it talks about, so you hypocrites, it will then say, but when you, but when you pray, but when you fast, it assumes that you are going to be different, that you are going to do things differently. God is searching out for what are your motives, but your motives are going to be different. You are going to want to get closer to God. Motives matter to God. Why do you worship? Why do you pray? Then when you've got that in order, how do you worship? How do you pray? And then finally, we get to words that Jesus taught us. How do we pray? What do we pray? When we get those in order, in the right way, our faith is towards God and not turned upside down as it was for the Pharisees. Get them wrong, we end up being hypocrites. So the prayer that Jesus teaches is the antidote to waffly and empty prayers that puff up, that make people look good. This is not a prayer to make us look good. And so we'll, let's briefly look at its structure. It starts how it means to go on. The first half of the Lord's Prayer is looking up. It doesn't think about us. It looks from us towards God. A great way, if you're wondering how do I start my prayer, start by looking up, away from ourselves and towards the holiness of God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. When we pray, let's start by looking up towards heaven, declaring the truth of God, declaring his holiness, his holy otherness in our lives. And therefore our need for him in prayer. That's where we start in our times of prayer. And when we declare God as Father, we acknowledge that we are children of his. That first reading from Galatians 4. Jesus was the first person to call God Father, and therefore that he was Son. He showed that he was the rightful heir to the kingdom of God. That was crazy in the first place. What was more crazy is that he said that we would be co-heirs with him, something that didn't really exist at the time, that we would hold an equal inheritance with him. And so when we start our Lord's Prayer by saying, Our Father, 
We're saying that amazing thing that Jesus said, my father. And we are saying that he is our father and that we are children of God. And that when we do, we have that same experience, that same closeness that Jesus had with his father. If you want to meditate on that this week, go back to that Galatians 4 passage and meditate on it through the week. What does it mean to be a child of God? And remember at each time when you say, Our Father in heaven, draw close to our God who is in heaven. It goes on, Your kingdom come by putting him first in our lives. We're choosing to not put ourselves first, not putting our own agendas first. When we pray, Your kingdom come, we'll say, I want your will for my life. I want to see your direction in my life. Whatever that will look like. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Ultimately, we want the kingdom of God to be breaking out in our own lives, in the lives of those around us. We want to see it here on earth and not just wait for it in heaven. We are promised it in heaven. But in this prayer, Jesus is bold enough to say, I want to see it here and now. And I don't know what aspects of the kingdom of heaven breaking in will look like, but I want to see it in around me. We believe that God is breaking through into this world, that he is transforming lives here and now. And so after looking up to heaven for these first few lines, there is a change of direction. We now bring our, only, our own prayers. Give us today our daily bread. It sounds a bit presumptive to say give. But we know that we believe in a good God who wants to give good gifts to his children So actually it isn't presumptive at all. Here we pray for God's sustenance in our lives. Not that we would have infinite amounts or not that we would have uh, nothing, but that we would have enough. Trusting that God knows what we need and that he will give it to us for today. Not worrying about tomorrow. And forgive us our debts, it goes on. As we also will have forgiven our debtors. Jesus shocked those who were around him. There were times when he healed and he shocked those around him. There were times when he forgave sins and he shocked those who were around him to equal measure. Because only God can do that. And Jesus offered that. And so we ask for that forgiveness. In boldness, we ask for that forgiveness as a great gift of God. But also when we know that for ourselves, as we are released from all that binds us down, we are compelled to offer it to others as well. If we are released, we are given freedom, we offer that joyfully to those around us with that same unbounding love that God offers to us, even as challenging as it can be. Goes on and says, and do not bring us to the time of trial, 
but rescue us from the evil one. Possibly a bit harder to understand. I probably could give my own 20-minute sermon on these two lines itself, but here's the two-minute version. Do not bring us to the time of trial. This is actually a specific thing. This is not a time of trial. This is not save me from a bad time that is going to happen round the corner. It's something specific, something catastrophic, something the end of the world, something that would rend our faiths, something that would bring us away from God. That is what we are praying about. Not save me from um, not finding a car park space at the supermarket. This is save me from something that would draw me away from my faith, that would uh, destroy the church. That would be the catastrophe, the time of trial, the sort of thing that we are praying about, the calamity that we see in the book of Revelation before Jesus comes back. This is more what it's talking about. And then it says, but rescue us from the evil one. Did you notice that in your NRSVs? It probably was the most jarring for those who, who know it, whether the, they, you know the Lord's, Lord's Prayer in the traditional form or the modern form. You won't have said, and rescue us from the evil one. It sort of trips off the tongue in a slightly different way. We might know, but deliver us from evil. But suffice to say, actually what's in our pew Bibles is closer to what is in the Greek. But I think it's so ingrained in the English language that even when they modernized it, they didn't completely change that line. But there are three ways in which that line uh, can be translated. Um, if, we, if we just take uh, the evil one as it is in the NRSV, none are the ones we're most familiar with. Stick with me because I think it's useful for faith. Three options. Deliver us from an evil, the least likely, but it has an article, so it could be an indefinite article for those who love their grammar. Deliver us from an evil. The second, deliver us from the evil, a definite article. Deliver us from the evil. Third option, deliver us from the evil one. Because it has an article um, in Greek, whenever you talked about um, you gave a name, you would put that word in, the article, the or an, in. So your options, an evil, the evil, the evil one. Why do I say this? Because I think that when we say our Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil, evil can seem like a formless, gaseous void. It can just see like some gaseous thing that sort of hovers over the world. But that's not what the Bible describes as evil. The evil comes from a place, that it is personal, that the goodness of God is personal as well. And if we want the goodness of God, we acknowledge the evil or the evil one. So we avoid ideas of this sort of passive Gaseous evil that sort of hovers over things. That is not biblical. And we know that the goodness of God is greater. And that's always the important thing. When we pray this, 
we pray that we would know the goodness of God over the evil one. Deliver us, rescue us from the evil, from the evil one. We pray this because we know the goodness of God and we know that he is greater and he has won the victory for us all. So our prayer in the Lord's Prayer is that we would see in our lifetime the goodness of God breaking in to this world and not just in a future hope. This is a prayer of protection, a prayer of closeness to knowing God, to knowing his active work in our life, the goodness of God outweighing the evils of this world. And so our message from the Sermon on the Mount today, how we do things is important. It is most important. Why we do things is most important. When we get those in order, we will know what to pray. And that's why he gave those words. First, looking up to heaven, focusing our eyes. And once we've done that, bringing our supplications to him. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for these words of scripture. We pray that we would live lives that are genuine, that are holy for you. Help us in those areas of life that we struggle to be on the outside, that which we are on the inside. Help us where we feel that we are a whitewashed tomb on the inside. Transform us from the inside. Show us your goodness and that we would always see why we pray and whom we know and that knowing your goodness we will be given the words of what to pray. For we ask in your mighty name. Amen.